everyone. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello, lady. How are you? I'm wonderful. This is the best time of the year. I know. I love it. I say that every episode during the fall. I know. And well, winter. we'll just keep saying that yeah. because we believe it. Mm-hmm. We fully believe it. Uh, today on the show, we are going to talk true crime documentaries. Mostly, I have one movie that I watched that is a fictionalization of a true crime story, but I think, I feel like that counts because, well, it was really good and I want to talk about it. But first, I think let's talk about the first one that you wanted to talk about because we have a lot to get to today. Yeah. We both watched a few documentaries recently, and then I also wanted to kind of bring up a bunch that I've just watched over the course of the last year or two. And I'm sure you can bring something to the table for that as mm-hmm. well, because a lot of them we watched together for shows. And so a little bit of is like, these were the best ones kind of thing is, right. is my thought on the, on the whole deal. You were going to, I believe the Kristen Chenoweth one. Yeah. So this one is called keeper of the ashes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Kristen Chenoweth leads this documentary because she was actually a Girl Scout in the same troop. Wow. About in the, the, I'll go into the details about in a moment. Um, sure. Of the three Girl Scouts who were murdered this evening in 1977. So they asked her to come back and sort of headline this documentary called Keeper of the Ashes. And it happened in Oklahoma in 1977. So it was three Girl Scouts between the ages of eight and 10 were raped and murdered. Uh, at the time, the case captivated the nation and will now be retold in a Hulu documentary, which is where I watched it. Keeper of the Ashes tells the story of Lori Lee Farmer, who was eight, Michelle Heather Goose, nine, and Doris Denise Milner, 10, all of whom were killed after their first night at sleepaway camp in 1977. Before I go too far, this story is also a major contributor to the camp slasher idea, too, okay. of like, you know... It's one one more real story that has contributed to that urban legend. So the case um, left many glued to the TV set, but even decades later, there are still uncertainties surrounding the case that haunt the community. So these this troop in Oklahoma go out to a camp that they regularly used, and it was a Girl Scout camp for a long time. And that evening, many of the girls there's they and they interview a lot of the the Girl Scouts who are now you know, older adult women and remembering hearing sounds and, and Mm. one of them specifically having a lot of survivor's guilt of like, I just walked back to my tent after hearing that, like what would have happened if maybe I would have gone down there after I heard something. So what we find out is the next morning, one tent, three of the girls have been murdered. Two were bludgeoned and the third was I think they said she was kind of Santa Claused over the shoulder, like a sack of potatoes Oh Lord! taken into the forest, tied to a tree, raped, killed the whole thing. So this is again before DNA. Yeah. So among all of the investigation, they, they finally get to a point when they reopen the case later, they say, you know, now that we're looking at this, it seems like there was a target for that one girl and uh-huh. because why weren't they all killed the same way? Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. So that's one part of it is like, why was this one particular girl sought after? Mm-hmm. And they feel that maybe it's because this guy had been kind of watching the camp and that's the one that he wanted. When they start investigating, they find out that this man by the name of Jean Leroy Hart 
is most likely the Oklahoma Girl Scout murder. Okay. He's already been in prison at this time for another murder. He's already serving a sentence, right? Mm -hmm. They're pretty certain that this is, this is their guy. They end up holding a trial. He is, I believe he's of Native American descent. So there, there's some vindication when he gets let off. He, he ends up being found not guilty. Got it. And there's certain supporters of like, yeah, he was targeted. You know, it was actually a white man, da 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 sure. da da Okay. So then they have to, they know though, and the, and the people in the community, they're like, there's no way it's not him. Mm -hmm. But now they have to move on because he's been, mm -hmm. right? So then they find this other guy who they're like, nope, it's him. DNA, the whole DNA thing pops up. It ends up not being him. So now we're back to heart. Right. Heart dies. Mm. So they never really get their answer. But the story is really interesting and in how the investigation unfolds. The mothers of the daughters tell their stories. Kristen okay. Chenoweth tells her story of how she was so close to that and she just happened to be sick and her mom was like, you're not going. Mm. And I think it's also, it's a there. I don't think people realize that this story, there are a lot of urban legends now out because of this specific story. And I know people who were Girl Scout leaders that have said, yeah, we were told every time we went to camp, like after this happened, we went to camp, like we were, it was instilled in us. Like the fear of God was instilled in us that you cannot keep your eyes off these little girls all of because of this situation so this was a very big case at the time and i i liked this documentary it's short it's it's only a few episodes yes yeah, four it looks like it's four episodes but they're not incredibly long sure her narrative and the interviews and the unfolding of the investigation all kind of made it really interesting for me and also just goes to show you that pre-DNA, they would have gotten this guy. Yeah. They still believe that's who it was, but they oh. never, it's never been solved. Right. Yeah. And I know that the, you know, there was some criticism of Kristen Chenoweth being in this, but you know. Yeah. I mean, what did, did it say She's anything a, specific about it or? Yeah. Like why is this lady like singing? <laughs> oh yeah. She comes back and, and sings. Yeah. And they, they were kind of talking about like the first three episodes mm -hmm. are great. Like watch the first three episodes. And then there's this like fourth episode where they're like, wait, what? She sings for like 10 seconds though. It's not know, like it's I'm an episode saying, of her got, singing, but yeah, yeah it is. it's, it's like, a little dramatic. People get, well, eh. She's a musical theater actress. What are you going to do? I like Kristen Chenoweth, so, you know, whatever. And yeah. then, of course, just that it, it's that it's kind of one of those ones that repeats itself over and over again. But yeah. it sounds like you enjoyed it, and I think that's valid. So there. So I watched a movie that is pretty popular right now, I guess. I don't know how it's going to go throughout history, but it's called The Good Nurse. And what I think is interesting about it is that it's, it's based on a book. So there's a book called the good nurse, a true story of medicine, madness and murder. And last week you had brought up that we've done stories on Dr. Death and also Harold Shipman about doctors who murder their patients and that pathology, which is one of the many pathologies of serial killers basically and they happen to be doctors but more notably well more often it's nurses so the doctors are a slightly rarer percentage wise mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that end up with that behavior but we are always hearing about nurses 
who kidnap little babies or kill their clients or euthanize their clients, this type of thing. Anyway, so this book, The Good Nurse, has now been made into a movie. And the book is a nonfiction true crime book written by American journalist and author Charles Graber, I believe it's pronounced. It's a follow-up to his 2007 article for the New York Magazine about Charles Cullen, who is a nurse convicted of being a serial killer. And his co-worker, nurse Amy Lofren, I think that's how you spell it, I mean pronounce it, Mm -hmm. who assisted police in apprehending him, basically, and getting him prosecuted. And so the book reveals the... The shortcomings, a lot of the shortcomings of the hospitals and the administrators that came up. So they made this movie and they cast these two, this actor and this actress in it. Eddie Redmayne plays the oh, good wow. nurse. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yes. Okay. So heavy hitting. And Jessica Chastain plays this I friend. I caught a piece of this. Okay. This I didn't realize that, that's what you were talking about. Right. So this is directed by Tobias Lindholm. And they made a movie out of this book, which is really fascinating, of course. So... Suspicious that her colleague is responsible for a series of mysterious patient deaths, a nurse risks her own life to uncover the truth in this gripping thriller based on true events. And so this was a book and they fictionalized a true story, basically. Now, I'll talk, let me just say about the movie first. I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, these two lead actors are so compelling. It. This is a slow, not very action I like watching both of them act, Oh, my though. God. So this movie is you know, not very action packed or any of that because it's very much centered on their relationship. Just like the true story. It's very much centered on these, these performances and, and it's tense as all hell. Like the tension that these two actors create, it was a mood and I really appreciated it, especially Eddie Redmayne. Mm -hmm. Like this guy, He's brilliant. This guy in this movie is bottled rage. Mm. And it the whole movie, except for these couple of moments, he is nice and kind and helpful. And he's the best friend you'd ever had. He's helping with the kids. He's the restraint of his acting, which is, of course, most good actors will tell you that it's all in the restraint. It's like not actually crying, but holding back tears is a much more palatable effect on screen, at least in movie acting than it is to just cry Mm -hmm. holding back that rage, this whole, and this whole, like who he really is in this movie is so effective. Like I can't get enough of his performance. Like I want to watch it again, even though nothing fucking happens in this movie. So I can't really do more than sort of like a 3.5 out of five stars for me yet, Mm -hmm. unless I start rewatching it and then it becomes a four or five stars. Like it becomes a favorite. It's not there yet because the plot is very, I think I use the word antiseptic. It's just sort of, Mm. yeah, not much happens. And there's some things that I would want to know more about, but it would drive me to read the book because I imagine this journalist has written probably a pretty interesting book about this. But Mm. the interesting thing about this story is that this woman is his best friend. Like they become fast friends. He's amazing. He's so supportive. She happens to be ill. He's very supportive with it. He helps her out. And oh my God, the whole time you're watching it, you're just going, ah, this is how it happens. This is how people ingratiate themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she starts to figure out he's doing something. And then the courage 
of what she does and how she helps police and what happens. And then it includes the real story of how there were jailhouse confessions that she elicited from him and how she did that. Like, I don't know about the real story. I've really got to read the book now okay. because if it was anything close to what happened in the movie, I'd be a good like, one for the book club. I'm just like, Oh, this is fucking fascinating. It sounds, it might be a good one for the book club. Cause I, it yeah, sounds and like now we one. have a true crime book club that we're, you know, we're mm-hmm. reading hell's half acre right now. So, um, I'll pitch it to pepper. She, okay. she does the true crime book club. So, cool. I will uh, check it out. But anyway, I enjoyed the movie too. So it's not just about the book. I saw a real quick, uh, I had it like it was on, like sometimes, you know, your show will end and it'll put on and it was on and I was like, I love these two together. I didn't realize that's what I was watching. Um, And I could, I could literally watch Eddie Redmayne act all day. He like, he's so captivating. And this is, this was perfect for him too, because he really captured what, psychopath who's definitely a sociopath would have mm-hmm. with you yeah just the best friend you've ever had oh yeah so supportive and amazing and any of us would have made friends with him sure. and eddie was able and i don't know about the the real guy and how effective that was or who he was but like eddie i'll believe it like he was great but then there are these moments you know in any oscar-winning performance <laughs> it's like 90% this and then there is like this one scene or these two scenes that get them the Oscar. I imagine he'll be he'll be out pimping it. Very good. I'm interested now. I'm intrigued. I'm going to write it down. Write down. What's next? So I watched a documentary called Captive Audience. Okay. The full name is Captive Audience a Real American Horror Story. All right. When I was a kid, <laughs> I was obsessed with the Monday night movie. I know my first name is Steven, where at the time oh. Corin Nemec played Steven Stainer. He was the actor that ended up really becoming associated with, with Steven Stainer so much that after Steven passed, Steven's own kids, anytime they would see Corin on TV, they'd be like, it, it would feel like they were seeing their dad. Like oh, he, he yeah. really embodied this character. For those of you who don't know this story, the documentary is a three-part true crime documentary that examines the impact of the intense media coverage of a kidnapped young boy's return home. Mm. It revisits the case of seven-year-old Stephen Stainer, who in 1972 was abducted in Merced, California, by convicted sex offender Kenneth Eugene Parnell. Seven years later, after escaping with five-year-old Timmy White, he returned to his family and was thrust into the media spotlight. The series looks at how the subsequent media focus on Stephen affected him and his family, including his older brother, Carrie, who, believe it or not, years later becomes a serial murderer known as the Yosemite Killer. Lord. So imagine this family, right? Um, and I'll say more about that in a moment. Um, interviews with members of the Stainer family, many of whom have never spoken publicly before, share what they endured in years after Stephen's kidnapping when he tragically died in 1989 and when Carrie was arrested and convicted. So Stephen gets abducted by Kenneth Parnell. Kenneth basically says, hey, I want you to get in the car, Pastor so-and-so, this is Pastor so-and-so, your mother wanted us to take you home. Um, you're going to come with us and we'll call her later. 
And then by the end of that day, Kenneth says to Stephen, hey, they want you to stay one more night with us. We'll take you home tomorrow. So he's not trying to fight to leave. He's not bound. He's not right. This story is a real, when we think about Stockholm syndrome Mm -hmm. or traumatic bonding. Right. Because what ends up happening on the third day is he tells Stephen, here's the truth. Your family does not want you. And we are now, I'm going to raise you now. And he ends up changing his name to Dennis. You find out that, you know, after X amount of years that he's been gone, he now starts to realize that he needs to get away, that he's, he's been sexually abused by this guy. He's growing up, he's figuring things out. So he takes his dog. What really sets him off though is Kenneth, once Steven starts to get older, Kenneth abducts a five-year-old boy by the name of Timmy White, which is really what causes Stephen to leave. So Stephen, his dog, and Timmy all finally leave, walk away from the situation. Timmy's five. He's just following Stephen. Sure. They go to the police department and he just says, I know my first name is Stephen. Like, that's all I know about my life, right? And so then it bursts into this whole story where we find out that Kenneth is like this really sick individual that always wanted to have sons and this is how he, right? But what's really incredible, I think about the documentary is it also shows the aftermath of what the family had to endure and the family even trying in their own mind to say, you know, this man, at least they, he didn't hurt him and at least, you know, he took good care of him because they don't know until Stephen is asked to go to trial, Stephen did not want to, you know, talk negatively about his captor because there was a a bond there, but it comes out that he was being molested the whole time and then so and so forth. Kenneth goes to prison. Steven starts to really suffer because his family didn't believe in mental health. His father said, we're not going to talk about it. So even when the director of the, when they were making the film, the family was like, absolutely not. But Steven's like, I want it made. Like finally let some sort of voice come out. And Steven ends up tragically years after he gets married, has a couple of kids. He ends up getting hit. He's riding his motorcycle without a helmet and he gets basically T-boned by a car and he dies instantly. So this poor guy's life, he's right. really suffered. And then we find out that his brother, Carrie, who probably endured a lot of trauma being the surviving brother, becomes a serial killer Ugh. and is arrested, convicted, and put into prison from mm. killing multiple people in Yosemite. So it is a really insane story. And so the movie, if you've never seen the movie that came out, obviously it's dramatized. A lot of the facts are, you know, made to, you know, like the mother was like, we were not destitute or poor. Some reason they made us like, maybe that made it more sensationalized. But so the the docuseries though, you know, they talk about how it raises questions about how the media chose to cover Stainer's kidnapping and the long lasting impact it had on him, his family and the public's perception of what transpired. And in the documentary, they have the actors who played the parts go back and read some of the lines now grown up and talking about those parts of Stephen's story and elaborating on it more. So it, I found it to be um, really interesting. That sounds really I, good. I was really obsessed with that story when I was a kid after I'd seen the movie because yeah. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to get kidnapped and be taken. No, for, you know? <laughs> no, no, absolutely um, not. So yeah. Great. I wanted to mention a couple of documentaries that kind of go over the edge 
I've seen a couple of them and they both include animal cruelty. Oh God. And I know that a lot of people have the reaction that Kathy just had to animal cruelty, but I also believe that these stories are worthwhile being in the news and getting a lot of attention because I want these people captured and convicted as these people were more than anything. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows that Tiger King murder mayhem and madness in 2020 took kind of the true crime documentary world by storm because of its sensationalism. But I have watched the story and back then, like when it first came out. And I can tell you there is more to the story Mm -hmm. than the abuse of tigers. Mm -hmm. And as we know now, he was convicted of that and more. So if you haven't seen Tiger King and you feel as if, you know, it's something that you can watch, it's not for everyone, but it was a very captivating portrait there are things in that that have nothing to do with the tigers, but are more to do with his personality. And as, as we all know, he was ultimately convicted of plotting to murder someone. And, for, the, and for those of you who are worried about the tigers, they are actually at a rescue. They, they have been placed. Somewhere. Yeah. And a lot of uh, good has come out of that. A lot of activism has mm-hmm. come out of exposing him, exposing this and this documentary, happening and Mm -hmm. and all of the other thing all of the bizarreness that happens because you know he there are people in this documentary that you know he worked with that talk about him and you go on this ride and uh i don't know if you're a true crime person and and you can see it now with a couple of years of hindsight and kind of look at that and if you need to skip over the tiger parts by all means do so, but it's a, it's an interesting one. So again, it crosses the line for sure of, of anything anybody really wants to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, so know that the other one that crosses a line of anything that anybody wants to see is one called don't fuck with cats Mm -hmm. hunting an internet killer, which has a very brief section, just like the tiger thing is, is very brief as well. Like a very brief piece of, uh, a cat being tortured because that's what that's what happened. Mm-hmm. That one is interesting as well for that similar reason, a very different style, a very different story structure, much shorter. You know, the Tiger King thing is like a whole season and this is, you know, right. three episodes. And it's a shocking online video brings together this widespread internet group of animal lovers out for justice. And their target has, you know, continues to do other things, not just this cat video, but what's more interesting about Don't Fuck With Cats is the fact that true crime obsessors, like a lot of a lot of you guys may, may be, and we are occasionally with certain topics, you know, get together and hunt this guy. Right. And it's because he posts his stuff on the internet and then the whole group is formed you know, the, and the new videos come out and that galvanizes the, the internet folks and they are investigating him. And then you find out who he is and what happens and the clues that come up that these people are calling the cops to tell them. And now he's done this and we tracked him to here and da, da, da. So it's one of those stories of advocacy around 
they saw this awful thing on the internet and people, people, you know, much like ourselves said, hell no, Mm -hmm. only they're very tech savvy. So they went after the guy Mm -hmm. and that helped quite a bit. And so I did want to mention those two. They, they do cross the line of decency for sure. Um, not that any of our true crime topics are decent. That's not what I mean, but it's just a little much, especially as an animal lover. It's like a little much. Those are tough, but I've seen both of them and you know, I do the muting thing. You know, I mute when there's a piece that I'm not really, I don't, it's the audio that gets me. Sure. <laughs> Not as much the visual picture. It's the audio that taps into my affect. So I will often like mute and look down at my computer and do something like, okay, here's the thing. And then I wait and then, <laughs> and then, you know, and then yeah. I, when I watch the rest because I do want to hear the story of what happened. Sure. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess I'll, I'll list two that yeah. I watched over the year. I know we watched them for the show that sure, um, you bet. were worth a watch and both involved just some really narcissistic individuals. <laughs> yeah. So the first one is Bad Vegan. Yeah, you bet. A Netflix docuseries that came out this past year by Chris Smith, directed by Chris Smith. Documents how vegan restaurateur mm. Sarma Mil- Melngalis, mm. something, I can't remember how it's pronounced, sure. illegally transferred money to her husband so he could pay a deity to bestow immortality upon them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was crazy. I mean, you go through so <laughs> many, you go through so many feelings about Sarma. Yeah, you and do. Whether it's you, a ride, man. It's a ride, whether you like feel bad for her or see her as you know, an enabler, collaborating with him. You but go back and forth the whole time. You do the whole deity piece is a, is a whole other level of uh, delusions Yeah, that they become, there's this shared psychosis happening that this dude has, you know, this extra, extra special relationship with yeah. this deity. Yeah. It, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, not because it was all necessarily that riveting or unique. Uh, you know, it had, it had this backdrop of of the veganism and and how she really uh, manipulated. One could look at it as if she manipulated the vegan crowd for her own narcissism, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but for me, of course, it speaks to my wheelhouse, which is more about spiritual narcissism. Like yeah. that's my jam. So that it spoke to that, and so I really enjoyed just watching that unfold. And I and I as I remember, you come to the end and kind of go you can still question how you feel. It was very much a good topic. In other yeah. words, like when I looked at social media and stuff talking about this one, there was often like people on, in both camps. Yes. You know, like, yeah. oh, she's an asshole. Oh, he's a psychopath. Oh, he, you know, like. It leaves it open. They, You could really just look at your own psychology and figure out what you liked or didn't like. Or, That's right. Oh, I hate them both or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Because it ends in a way that you're left thinking about how do I, like, how do I feel right now? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know? Um, I certainly had that. And then the other one is the piece of shit, uh, AKA uh, Hunter Moore, who oh, was the yeah. most hated man on the internet. Uh, three, you'd, you'd agree. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree. Three part limited series. Um, it's literally about one woman's crusade to take down a revenge porn empire. So Hunter Moore, he, um, he ends up becoming the self-proclaimed professional life ruiner. Oh boy. By posting videos and photos, mostly of women, some men, 
that he states he is getting from people who would like revenge on their exes. And he develops a website uh, called isanyoneup.com. It's dedicated to posting explicit photos of both men and women shared without consent. So the, the documentary focuses on one of the mothers who works with, eventually finds a team to help bring this guy down. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think one of the most controversial parts of this is, you know, he had a very short sentence, which brings up the ethical debate around what was he actually responsible for? What should his sentence have been? Who else is culpable? But, you know, we do find out that he was lying about a lot of the sources and he was finding stuff himself that no one had ever even sent him. He was he was hacking into things and had people working for him. So, yeah. So I'll mention a few, maybe I'll just mention a couple more that we've done episodes on. So you can find episodes in our, in our library of those two. Uh, you know, we've done episodes on The Way Down about Gwen Shamblin. We've done uh, I Just Killed My Dad. We've done Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. And I, th- I think we did Abducted in Plain Sight. We did, you know, if you scroll way back, we did at the beginning of our season two, and it's still available there, we did an episode on Amanda Knox. So we we saw the documentary from 2016 with Amanda Knox, and we used that as our backdrop. So Sins of Our Mother, we did too. Sins of Our Lord Mother, Valley. we did. Absolutely. And one of the ones I'll bring up again is we did uh, recently, we need to talk about Cosby, the documentary, which I, I thought that was really good that too. That was really good. And I actually went out and bought uh, his book, which is an anti racist handbook. <laughs> the oh, filmmaker, interesting. The filmmaker. Uh, wrote a book called Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book. And it's by W. Camo Bell and Kate Schatz, I think is the way you pronounce both those names. And either way, I they're both really funny. And it's a paperback. It's like a sticker book. There's stickers and things to pull out. And it's it's an activity workbook for to be anti-racist. And so I bought it and I'm working my way through it. And it's educational while also helping me not be a racist and Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying that and I I hope to share as I get more through that I hope to share about that because I was like well let's do this thing so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm doing it and us doing that episode actually inspired me to get that book and and and, cool and check it out so I'm checking that out I did want to mention one other one before we, I think we're going to talk about who took Johnny. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll do that last. I wanted to talk about a documentary called Athlete A, Mm -hmm. which is from 2020. It's just a documentary. It's not a series. So it's a little less than two hours. And I really enjoyed this one. So reporters from the Indianapolis Star exposed Dr. Larry Nassar's sexual abuse of young gymnasts. And athlete A is is a reference to that. And I have to say, it's really one of the best true crime documentaries I've seen over the last, I don't know, five years or mm-hmm. something. It's only 103 minutes. And you kind of want more. You kind of want more of that story. It's very striking. There's redemptive stuff. There's It takes you on a little bit of a journey. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And if you haven't seen Athlete A, it's it's really good. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, that's one I would recommend, especially if you like anything true crime, but also if you like sports stories, things like that. Great. I think we also did an episode on Our Father as well. I feel like we we have about not that. done it yet. You've seen it. I've seen it, but, but we, we haven't, haven't done, done an episode. That's so right. Well, why don't we do that? Why okay. don't we do an episode on Let's Our Father? Because uh, I think that's a good one to do it. So Great. anyway, you're hearing us plan in real time. So let's talk about who took Johnny. You, Very old case. Yeah. You saw it. I saw it. So for the people who don't know who Johnny Ghosh is, I think that's how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. He was like the second or third little boy to be put on a milk carton back in the day. He disappeared on September 5th, 1982. He was a paper boy in West Des Moines, Iowa. He disappeared between 6 and 7 a.m. on September 5th. Uh, 1982. He is presumed to have been kidnapped and there have been no arrests made. The case is now considered cold but remains open. There are a lot of really strange things that happened in this case, including a lot of misinformation and Mm -hmm. things that like, you know, the mother seems to be, you know, and and there's a couple different feelings about the mother. Was she deluded by grief Mm -hmm. or is there something she knows that she's not telling. I don't right. know. What, what are, yeah, I mean, it kind of, uh, it does that. It does that thing where it makes you question and then it brings you trust back and then it makes you question and it brings your trust back. Just like most true crime documentaries. By the way, this is a movie too. It's only, it's like less than 90 minutes because it's not a big story. There's a lot of, like there's not a ton of things to follow that are that are built in facts, I guess you could say, you know, a lot of these stories have series because there's like so many different ways it goes and there's all this action that happens. And this is really a story about a kid who got abducted and sold into the sex trade. So a CSEC kid, right? Uh, I work with a lot of youth that are at risk for this, got sold into sexual slavery and porn and all of the things that come with that. And then, and it's also a story about a mom who doggedly kept it in the minds of a cop. And so we hear that story a lot. We've actually talked about that story today and last week, and it's coming up a lot. It's like, you know, with Michelle McNamara last week and all that, like there's not, she wasn't a mom, but it was like, she wasn't a mom of a victim, but it's like these people that keep it alive, just like with fuck with cats. It's like the internet was like searching for him and doing the work and all of that and helping police along and, I realize police can have conflicting <laughs> opinions about how much yeah. how helpful that can be. I get it. I understand that. But this is another one of those stories. And but then there's all this like rumor and innuendo about she starts to say thin things happen, the cops don't really believe it, da da da. So you go on a little bit of a ride. But like I said, it's only eighty one minutes, so there's not a big story there, but it is a cold case. So yeah, and it's a cold case still, as far as I know. I mean, this came out in 2014, but I think that's what made this uh, story very compelling, though, is that there's all of these bizarre and strange, very bizarre, mysterious yeah. sightings, mm-hmm. all yeah. of which, like, there's a lot of conspiracy around it. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, is this because mom's trying to keep this alive and finding hope, or is there something deeper going on? But it was never solved, right? And so you, you sit back like some of the others, and you reflect on that, just like with Bad Vegan, like you get to sit with the case not being solved and what you feel about that. And you know, this was the first kid that got put on a milk carton. I think Eaton Pats was the first one. 
Oh, really? Yeah, he. I think uh, Johnny was like, there was like three and he was like the second or third, but he's he's in there for sure. But, you know, reading some of the reviews too, you have people go, you know, I don't know why, but I just, I, I don't believe Noreen. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. There's some gut feelings there. That's definitely mm-hmm. a perspective to have for sure because when you watch it, it, it does sort of feel like that as well. You're just, yeah. you're just not sure. And if you're okay with that, then okay. I mean, you know, you know, you can watch documentaries like Abducted in Plain Sight, which is another really good one, or yeah. uh, that we've talked about. Uh, we did an episode on that American Murder, The Family Next Door. So you know, things that have more of a beginning, middle, and end. Um, but this one just doesn't, and and I'm okay with that as long as they all weren't like that. Right. <laughs> that would be very unsatisfying. I'd probably stop watching True Crime. I was like, no, I want to hear the end. Yeah, exactly. But I enjoyed it. Still, I still enjoyed the watch. You know. So yeah. So that's that's our little bitty review of a bunch of stuff we've just watched, and now we're done. We are. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for now. Listening. For now, until next time. Thank you so much for listening to Terror Talk. My name is Shannon, and I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. <laughs>